Couch Chats is a series of real, open, honest and raw chats with some inspiring friends and women I've had the privilege to meet along my entrepreneurial journey, as well as some solo episodes from me. I hope this podcast can inspire you to always dream big and make it your reality. I am your host, Jess Williamson, a serial entrepreneur and business coach. And today's guest is none other than Flex. She is a powerhouse and an influential modern day icon. Flex Mummy has built a reputation for being a new generational businesswoman with no holds barred attitude to life. She has cultivated a global and loyal following by being unapologetically herself. Flex has been many, many things and we'll chat about it in the podcast, but she has been a DJ, a radio presenter, TV presenter, entrepreneur, the founder of Flex Factory, the amazing card games, and now an author. And we're going to chat about her entire journey. There are so many amazing things and lessons that you all can take away from this episode. So let's get started. So, hey, Flex, I am super excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, um, for those that don't know, we were just sort of discussing which name you prefer. I would love to know where did the name Flex actually come from? There's no good story. I just was deciding to become a DJ and needed a DJ name. Um, And at the time, seven years ago, Flex was like a colloquial term, like lit or sleek. Or whatever the kids were saying. Um, And so I just took it. (laughs) And we needed a suffix. Amazing. um, Because flex is uh, the word is really popular in like the chiropractic community, the yoga community. And so we're like, could it be girl? Could it be baby? We just went with mommy because it made sense. (laughs) Amazing. I love it. It's, It's awesome. So what I am super excited to chat to you about is your journey. And it's been a really interesting journey. Um, For those that aren't familiar, you've had sort of many different lifetimes in your one so far, which is amazing. Um, But tell us, for everyone that hasn't heard it before, where did it all start? Um, Yeah, so I guess DJing was an interesting one. Before then, I was working in Uh, PR and social digital marketing. Um, And I only did that because uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted a a legitimate job. And I was watching the Hills and saw those girls work in PR and they got to dress up every day and wear heels and have conversations. And so I thought that'd be a good job. And look, like I didn't enjoy the job in itself, but I think I learned all of my best skills in PR. Um, There's something about having a job that is... (laughs) That is really difficult to explain, but really requires you to know everything in the business structure that makes you a powerhouse immediately. Every publicist I know is well equipped to do multiple jobs because you have to. You've got to be a copywriter, a strategist, um, a photographer, an editor, uh, a creative director, all of these really important things. And you have to have um, probably the most important skill of all, which is uh, like 
persuasive language. How do you get people to care about something that they don't know about and don't care about? So that was really incredible, but just terrible. Oh, I hated it. Um, there's nothing like being overworked and unappreciated. It can really just <laughs> motivate you to do something else. Uh, and so I remember at the time I would have been 20 or 19 and I was having this epiphany that maybe I was finding the job so difficult because I put so much pressure on what the job was meant to mean. I thought I was going to turn into this really special uh, person from having a legitimate job. Um, no, it didn't happen that way. So I was thinking perhaps I should lean into just being a young person and do young person things. <laughs> and that's an awesome career. But I'd been so hardwired for career up until that point that I was like, Ugh, I don't want to do that <laughs> so I thought you know I I, I want to do something that's fun but I also want to uh, make money from it so I became a door girl for a really popular club in King's Cross in Sydney and that was fun because you know I was on shift from 9pm to 3am and all I did was talk and look cute all day it was fantastic <laughs> um, and through doing that job I met a lot of um club promoters and just really cool people that I ended up being friends with. And um, I became friends with these particular guys and they ran a club night called Sidechains and I was just asking them about their business strategy and if they did any PR because that was what my brain was at the time. And they were like, no, can you help us? And I was like, yeah, I mean, like, it's very simple. And one of the first things I told them to do was, I don't know if anyone remembers, but, you know, Sydney's changed a lot, but seven years ago, nobody went to the club until midnight, like at the earliest. And I was on door from nine to 3 a.m. And so I would just stand there for three hours and just talk to the security guard because even if people came early, there was no door fee. So I was just there to just be the face of the club. So I was saying to these promoters, I don't think you should pay DJs to be here that early because they don't get a crowd, which is terrible. Um, and also it's a waste of your money. So why don't you do something a little bit more uh, low key with that time, do a listening party, do something that gets bodies in the door, but doesn't cost you so much money. Like play the newest album that came out that mm. week. I don't know. Uh, and then they're like, okay, well, fine, we won't have DJs, but, you know, we do want to have people on call. And I'm like, well, don't get people who are trying to build their career. It's embarrassing to play to no one. Just you two do it. And they were like, ah, I don't really want to do it. And I was like, I'll do it. I'll, I like music. I'm sure I could figure it out. And they're like, can you even DJ? And I was like, oh, no, but I'm sure I could figure it out. <laughs> so I did. I YouTubed it. <laughs> I figured it out. Uh, and because I worked at the club, I could access the equipment um, so I got them to teach me. I got, um, like friends and other musicians I'd meet along the way to be like, Hey, how do you, how do you choose a song and how do you mix? Uh, and then because I was already the kind of girl who was out every weekend, it just made sense for promoters to start booking me. They're like, it's amazing. We love Flex and she can, she's already here. Her friends are already here. We'll just get her to play. So it was bizarre to be like, Oh, I guess I'm a DJ now. Yeah. I love that in itself. The fact that you, took something, you were like, I'm going to do this and I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. And I think so many people get stuck on that aspect. Like all of the information is out there. You can ask the right people, you can Google it, you can YouTube it. And I love that you just like, I'm just going to figure this out because I can see how this could not only benefit the club, but, you know, give you something to do at that time as well. Absolutely. And it's the hardest thing to do. Uh, and it's a big, uh, 
molehill for a lot of people is the fact that they're assuming that the thing they want to do is much harder than it is. And sure, things are difficult. Like technically speaking, being a DJ is difficult because it's an intuitive practice to know what to play to the right audience at the right time, blah, 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 blah. But technically it's very simple. And if you were relying on some big light bulb moment, some random professional DJ to come scoop you up out of a crowd and teach you, you'll be waiting forever. Um, And the time it would take you to just do a simple Google uh, would save people so much stress. So I think I was DJing for about six months and one gig went to two and two gigs went to three. And it got to the point where I was at my day job in PR from, you know, eight to 7 p.m. And then DJing from nine to 1 a.m. on a weekday. And then I thought, you know, I'm not present at my day job. I don't actually want to be here. I don't really want to be a musician either. Mm. (laughs) But I thought, you know, between two jobs, the DJ one sounds cool. And worst case scenario, I could just go back to having a real job if it didn't work out. Because I wasn't preparing to be a DJ. I mean, I'm not someone who has the best stamina. Like, I don't love partying. I don't love loud rooms. (laughs) But it just felt really opportunistic. And I felt really, like, grateful that if I could be given an opportunity to do something cool, I may as well do it. That's what I did. I quit my full-time job and I became a DJ. Amazing. Um, So I did that. And... (laughs) I guess the learning with the DJ thing was that, you know, it's a job and the same concerns I had with working in PR are the same concerns I had working as a DJ, but just repackaged. You're still in an environment where you are like overworked and unappreciated. Your hours are terrible. Um, Negotiating your pay and your salary is really frustrating. Um, The inconsistency of work isn't ideal. The working conditions aren't ideal. No benefits. If you want to get paid in drink cards, sure. <laughs> I mean, now I get paid really well to do it. But at the time I was like, this is a slog. <laughs> yeah. And I think also I didn't want, I didn't want to be a musician. So I was like, why am I struggling for? The next job after that was becoming an MTV presenter. Um, and I guess my mindset with that was I felt invincible. I was like, hold on, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> I can just be a DJ. What else can I do? What else is there to do? And how I got that job was, mm, I don't know, right place, right time. Basically, MTV had contacted me, a freelancer, sorry, who was contracting for MTV had contacted me and wanted to do a like it girl feature, you know, like, what do the cool girls do? And I was like, this is so amazing. So <laughs> after a couple of days emailing, um, it never went through because the freelancer got a better job and quit. Mm. And I asked her if she'd put me in contact with someone from MTV, you know, just to, you know, maintain whatever relationship might have been there. And so I got in contact with them and they were kind of, you know, like, yeah, great. So what are you working on? And I was like, you know, I'm DJ at the moment, but I really want to pivot into TV presenting. I thought, why not? I'm already here. Might as well throw it out there, see what sticks. And they were like, oh my goodness, this is such good timing because we're actually looking for a new TV presenter with like pop culture and music, like knowledge. Can you do that? And I was like, yeah, I love pop culture. And I did. And I do, you know? So uh, they'd asked me for those classic industry things like showreels and previous work, <laughs> and I did not have it. Uh, and I was naive as to how hard the job actually is. So my adolescent hubris was like, oh, no, of course, I've got the showreels coming in, but if you just get me in the room, 
we can do a screen test because I'll be rehearsing relevant content. You know, I can try scripting and they're like, yeah, okay, you can definitely do that. And so that's what we did. I got in the room and we did some test reads and it was, I was so hard. Just thinking about it. I was so stiff. (laughs) I was stuttering over my words and there were so many lights and so many cameras. And I was just like, this is not what I thought it would be. But they liked me enough. I guess they saw, you know, there was like something to work with. There was a canvas there. Amazing. <laughs> um, and so I would do like one one script a week. And it was very much a autonomous role. Like I had to come up with the, the story, the content. I had to write it. I had to script it. I had to, I didn't have to film it and edit it myself. But everything up until that point was on me. And, I, you know, I was just a cog in the system. I didn't know what the metrics were for success there. I just showed up. Um, but as you know, the perception of being an MTV, MTV presenter is huge. So it yeah. opened up so many doors by virtual perception. Like she DJs and she's an MTV presenter. Who is she? Incredible. <laughs> I love that you just sort of leveraged every opportunity thrown at you, even the fact that you didn't have the prerequisites on what they were asking for. You were like, just get me in that room and I will show you. So I love that attitude just throughout. I think that's a good PR skill. Again, all like your number one job in PR is to leverage because often you're working with a client or a product or a brand that nobody cares about. So if you can't give the people what they want, what else can you give them? And so I remember in PR, it was, you know, let's say I'd be working on a new Cartoon Network show. Um, and a publication be like, well, can we get the star? I'd be like, no, you can't get the star, but we can get you a, a an interview and we will, uh, we will pre-write the questions and we will answer them based on what we know of the character. And we'll get you a signed copy of the new, the new TV series or whatever, or like merch. Mm. And suddenly you're still maintaining a conversation, um, and you've managed to pivot what, uh, what you couldn't offer and something you can offer. And again, very much a PR skill. I don't know if I would have learned it if not for being in that industry. So uh, I don't know if it's mm. to say get into PR, but definitely talk to your local publicist <laughs> because they get it. <laughs> Amazing. And hopefully people can just t- take the learnings from this this podcast as well. <laughs> 100%. I'm happy to share everything. Um, and then what happened there? I mean, so now we're like, I guess I'm 21 at this point maybe. And I'm a full-time DJ and I'm an MTV presenter. And what ended up happening there was because I was only contracting for MTV, I was able to kind of, uh, you know, share my services everywhere. So that turned into pedestrian and channel seven and doing all these really cool things. Um, And I guess at this point as well, I became an influencer, which is really interesting because up until, uh, up until, mm, maybe being a DJ, actually, I did not have social media. Like, sure, I had accounts that I used to look at other people, but I wasn't posting on those accounts. Um, and because I was still managing my brand with a PR brain, with a PR brain, sorry, I recognized that I needed some kind of opportunity to build a community, an opportunity to add more, um, more leverage. Like, what else can I offer aside from just the skill? Because, you know, being a DJ is super competitive. Everybody's a DJ. Well, not everybody, but when you're in the industry, there are a lot of DJs, not a lot, not a lot of opportunities. And so I remember I did a bit of influencer marketing when I worked in PR and I knew how 
simple it could be to work with brands because brands can be desperate for somebody to um, work alongside them. So I knew if I started to build a profile, I could offer more than what I was currently offering. And so from that point, I started to build my you know, my online presence. And uh, it was very bizarre because at the time, posting was just like the antithesis of what I wanted to do <laughs> because I had this thing where I'm a very showy person, but I like to earn my spotlight. And something about posting on Instagram felt so disingenuous. Like, oh my God, I've got to be constantly showing people that I'm doing things, showing that I'm special, showing that I'm capable. And I just wanted to be in a room and have somebody just see me and recognize me and recognize my skills, sorry, before they recognize me. So there was a lot of internal battles with that. Um, But yeah, and from there, I mean, then it just, it spiraled because... At this point, I'm a DJ and a TV presenter, also freelancing, became an influencer. Then I started working, um, doing freelance radio. So I did a few slots at Triple J and then about a year at FBI. And that was just a good skill, a good way to procure my speaking skills. Because up until this point, it's one thing to speak in conversation and another thing to be the narrative to your own story. And I recognized that, um, you know, you can't really learn those skills doing TV presenting because a lot of it is scripted. So you are speaking on Mm -hmm. behalf of somebody else. So you're not even using your own voice half the time. Um, And so working in radio was like, okay, be, be yourself, be engaging. Can you string together a sentence? Can you hold somebody's attention for as long as you need to No, he's a good place to learn. Um, And it was great. So at this point I was doing the music and the, the socializing thing and it was good up until I realized I didn't even want to be a musician this is not what I'm here to do (laughs) so I found myself so like intertwined in the music industry um and it's not as though I felt like a phony but I just recognized how how so many people would like die for these opportunities that I was very nonchalant and indifferent about because I couldn't see like the gravitas of being here and so at this point I was like, I need to pivot and start um and start doing things that actually matter to me. So when I achieve these milestones, they feel relevant and they feel like I can they feel celebratory, if anything. And so yep. I recognize that of all the things I enjoy doing, speaking was the most interesting one and just kind of like having the opportunity to speak about what I want, when I want, in the way I want, because I want to do it. And none of the jobs I had gave me that kind of freedom and so that's when I started podcasting did you sort of just go where the flow went or did you consciously make these decisions such as oh I want to get into radio or oh I want to do tv up until that point did you ever sort of reflect on where you're at or was it just a natural progression no, it's natural progression. I mean, it's tricky because the TV presenting was definitely conscious and DJing was opportunistic. Radio was a, a mix of the two because I recognized that I, I wanted to speak, uh, I wanted to like share my own uh, interests, um, but I was hesitant because I didn't want to talk about music all the time and radio is very music-centric space. So I was given the opportunity to be a, a presenter. I was contacted by FBI and Triple J and they were like, what do you think about doing this? And I was like, I'm interested, but I don't want to speak about music all the time. So can we pivot? Can it be pop culture? Can it be entertainment? Yeah. <laughs> can it be psychology? Can it be anything? I don't want to speak about someone's creative intention. I'm very <laughs> yeah. bored. So it was like this 
almost like a, a symbiosis of me recognizing where the opportunities were and knowing that I couldn't have planned how things had had. I couldn't have planned how things have happened up until this point. So I needed to just believe that the direction that I was being pulled in was a direction for me. Because how was I meant to know? Maybe I would have started doing radio presenting. I would have been like, this is mm-hmm. the best thing ever. I love it. It was cool. It wasn't the best thing ever, but it was really cool. But what I do commend my 22-year-old self for doing was like going with the flow, but also showing up ready. Because once I committed to doing radio, it was the thing. I was working on my voice reads. I was working on being well-researched. I was figuring out how to articulate myself. I was working on my vocab. I was um, getting to know the people in my industry. I was like making sure that if I was going to be the voice of a certain culture or subculture in the Sydney like dancing, I was going to be present. I was going to be at every gig. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to take every opening slot I could DJing. I was going to, I was going to show up. Um, so that's a good thing about me is that if I, if I've committed to it, I'm going to do it. Even if it feels like it's out of obligation, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it well. I love it because I recognized that as I was developing these multiple slashes, the, my network didn't really change. You know, people grow, they evolve. So the girl that I was DJing with when I was 19 happens to be, um, you know, the, the head publicist for a brand that I work with now. It's just how it ends up working. Yeah. The world is very, very small. <laughs> it's tiny. So, so tiny. <laughs> well, it's, it's such an incredible journey. I guess, what took you into entrepreneurialism then? Okay, so I don't want to be the person who's like, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit, but I have. <laughs> so, like, I was that girl um, at high school, like, being like, I'll make jewellery and sell it to you or, like, I'll um, do your hair and you can, like, you know, pay me $3 or whatever it was. And so in <laughs> high school, I always had multiple jobs. I've always had two jobs up until the point that I had seven, but I always had you know two retail jobs working at like McDonald's and Diva when that jewelry shop existed or working at Sunglass Hut and being an assistant store manager at, you know, Chic or whatever. So I'd always had it in my mind that I wanted to run a business, but I think I just lacked foresight. So whatever I was doing at the moment felt like that was the direction I was meant to be in. So when I was working in PR and I was thinking about career progression, I was thinking, well, maybe I'll run an agency one day. That would be cool, right? Or when I was um, doing a lot more DJing, I was thinking, okay, well, maybe I'll find a way to scale DJing. I could start an agency and help other people DJ. Um, And so it wasn't until I got to maybe two, three years ago, three years ago that I thought now is the perfect time to pivot into product-based businesses because what I, what stopped me from doing it earlier is that I recognized that the difference between a business that gets a fighting chance and one that doesn't is obviously capital. But the second is just having a, an, an audience to speak to. Because it's not like back in the days where you could pay 0.01 uh, cent for a uh, cost per click on Facebook. Like now it costs so much to reach people. So I knew that I needed an audience I could speak to, whether that's being an influencer, having an email database or whatever. I needed capital. And at that point I had both. So I was like, what am I waiting for? I could do anything. Um, and so it was always the plan, but I didn't know what the product would be. I didn't know what the service would be. And I know that I can be quite, um, 
I mean, I'm motivated by what interests me and things don't interest me for long. So I didn't want to start a business and be like, mm, I don't want to do this anymore. Because it happens. <laughs> it happens all the time. Like the reason why I do so many things is I don't want to do all of them. So I just get a new slash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So once I had the capital and once I had the, the audience, I was like, let's do it. Let's go. And so I, so we did it. <laughs> Amazing. And so Flex Factory is obviously the one the one we're talking about. Um, so what mm-hmm. got you started in this? Like where did the idea come from? Obviously you love talking and having conversations. So yeah, what what was the idea behind it? So basically uh, the best way to explain it is so when I recognized that my brand had become really music centric and I wasn't interested in being a musician, not in the way that I knew other people wanted to be, I wanted to pivot. And so at the time I was spending a lot of conscious effort to kind of, uh, rebuild a new audience who would accept me as something more than flex the DJ or flex the MTV presenter. And so at the time I was using the Instagram question feature to start a lot of dialogue with my audience, that just was anything but like, where are you playing this weekend? And, you know, for me and right now, everyone's like, that doesn't sound really radical. But this was at a time where people just posted flat lays on Instagram and showed their outfits of the day and didn't write captions because that was cringy. We're at a time where Instagram was the main platform and it was a visual platform. You did not speak to the camera. You did not share your views. And so I was kind of... um it was kind of radical for me to be starting conversation and speaking to the camera, but I recognized that I wasn't going to compete with the people who were doing flat lays and bikini photos because I just wasn't interested. And if I was going to stay on the internet, I just wanted to make it enjoyable for myself. And I'd always been the person who'd be like, here's a hypothetical scenario or here's a fun thing I'm thinking about. Let's chat. So it was very easy for me to make that content. And I'd been getting advice from my fellow influencer friends and they were kind of like, the content that works best for us is the content that we enjoy doing. Your audience can tell. Uh, so when I started uh, like transitioning my content, it flopped. Like nobody engaged. Nobody was interested. They were like, what is this? Like, we don't want to hear you speak, number one. And we don't <laughs> want to share our views with you, number two. Like, we've never heard you speak before. Why now? And so I just kept, oh, no. yeah, no, it's locked. And I feel like that's what people, people would love to think that it was just, it took off from the get-go. It did not. Um, but I was enjoying myself. And so I was like, you know, this, I'm enjoying posting on my feed. Like, I'm enjoying um, not comparing my flat lay to their flat lay because nobody's doing the content that I'm doing. So I can just set the metric of if it's doing well, if it's not doing well. Uh, and then, you know, after about, I don't know, six months, I developed a, a new audience who who enjoyed the conversations. Um, and so suddenly with podcasting, I had three podcasts, one on my own, one with Mamma Mia, um, and then another one uh, with a, a co-host. And that in, in conjunction with starting conversations online meant that suddenly I was being invited to panels and I was speaking and I was being asked to moderate discussions and I was being asked to do talks at the Opera House, all these really cool things that pivoted my brand straight away. 
And so somebody asked me one day if I was going to make merch because I guess they were a fan from when I was DJing. And I was like, ew, no, I don't want merch. I'm not going to make a t-shirt for you to wear like with my name on it. That sounds terrible. But I was talking to my best friend and she was like, you know, you could make merch that's like more on brand for you. You know, like what would that look like? And I was like, I don't know. I feel like there's something with these questions because at this point people were DMing me every day being like, what's the question for today? What's the conversation? And, you know, do you have a list of all the other questions you've asked from other days? I only started following you now. And I was like, no, I I don't, but I could. And so I told my best friend this and she was like, okay, give me your Instagram and let me go through your archives and see all the questions you've asked. And we'll put it in a spreadsheet and we'll think about what we do then. So we put it in a spreadsheet and she was like, oh, you know, we can make it like a PDF and we can like, I don't know, make this your merch. And I was like, no, that's it's terrible. <laughs> I want it to feel legitimate and like I want it to feel <laughs> tangible and really exciting. And so I was like, I want to make it like a card game. And so she's like, a card game that sounds expensive and like a lot of work. And I was like, yeah, but like let's just do like, you know, a hundred or something and we'll put that out as merch. And if people buy it, they buy it. If they don't, they don't. I think it's cool. And that was kind of the um like my litmus test for if I wanted to do something like, do I think it's cool? Okay, good. Then I'll do it. (laughs) And so we had collated all these questions. I'd called my friend Bianca, who's a graphic designer. I was like, Hey, can you make this look cute? And I was like, no direction. Just do what you do best. And then she was like, Oh my God, I also know a printer. I was like, great. Can you, can we print it? She's like, yeah, we'll print it. She printed it. She collated it for me. And then we put it on sale on Instagram and it sold out in like an hour or something ridiculous. Like it was just, I put it up and I was like, Hey, these cards are on sale. This is my merch. And then it sold out. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this is so wild. wild. And so I was talking to my best friend, Grace, and she was like, you're going to do it again. And I was like, no, I'm over it. I've done it once. (laughs) (laughs) I want to do it again. And she was like, no, I think you should. People are really interested. And I was like, no, like it's meant to be a quick one and done because the process of dispatching these uh, orders was so just, it was just such a, such a slog like it was Mm -hmm. great to get one order but then it was okay now we've got to collect these cards get the packaging put it in an envelope get a stamp take it to the post office I'm like this is not not for me (laughs) um and then so and I think at the time we were selling it at a loss so it's probably costing us like I don't know 15 dollars to to make the cards at the at how we were doing it, right? And so it was costing a lot of money. And I think I was selling it for ten dollars. So I didn't know anything about wow. business. So I was like, I don't know, it was a cool match idea. <laughs> and now I'm selling it. Um and so we ordered it again. And then it sold out again in like a day. And then we ordered another two hundred and then it sold it again in like a week. And then we ordered another three hundred. It sold it again. And at this point I was thinking, well, this is a good idea, but I hadn't imagined that this would be my big entrepreneurial idea, selling card games. I want it to be uh, established, high level. I want it to be clothing or beauty products or something with proven um, market expectation and performance, you know. But something about a card game felt so left of field because I didn't have any proof of concept. I didn't have any indication that it could sell really well. I didn't have any, like, competitors to look at and imitate (laughs) for inspiration. Like, I had to really commit to it then and there. And I wasn't ready for that because while this was happening, 
everything else was happening. I was still traveling and touring for DJing. I was still doing TV presenting. I was doing all of these high concept glitz and glam things that felt far more important than getting Instagram followers, cards and questions. Mm. Um, And so when I was talking to Grace, she was kind of like, look, like worst case, she's like, there's a way to legitimize it. And worst case scenario, if it doesn't work, you can just not do it. And I understood that, but I also recognized by saying yes to running this business, I was saying yes to so many things I didn't want to do, like admin and accounts and like general business management. I wanted to do creative and strategy and marketing. And so she said, I'll do it. And I was like, "Mm, no, that sounds, that sounds, no. And she was like, why not? And I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to give it to you to do. That sounds terrible. And she was like, no, this is great. She's like, I am happy doing the work you don't want to do. And I think this is a really good idea. I think you should do it. And so if not for her saying yes to doing the things I didn't want to do, I absolutely would not have started running this business. And so initially, um, initially I hired her and then I was like, Uh, And then we discussed and said it'd be better to be partners because, you know, fundamentally this business would not run with her because I refused to do those tasks that I couldn't, uh, just like comparatively, it's like, do you want to go tour Asia or do you want to go sit at home and ship card games? Like, which one are we doing? Um, And so that all happened in the span of like, I think two months or something, three months, deciding that we were making card games to becoming a legitimate business, which meant that even up until now, three years later, we're still trying to um, almost like revise all of the basic business steps we didn't do initially. Like running a business with no business plan, with no strategy, uh, with no marketing plan, with um, no like, goals (laughs) is really confusing because you don't have any clear metrics for if it's doing well or doing not aside from really obvious ones like profit and loss and so even to this day you know we're still like what is the brand and why does Mm. it matter and what are we doing yeah wow even the fact that we have 10 card games now that wasn't the plan I was like oh we'll just do one no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's incredible what you've built and juggling everything at once. So two la- two things I want to chat to you about before we get into your very exciting book, but two key, I guess, messages or themes that I hear coming up is you do a lot. You do a lot of different things um, and you seem to juggle them all so well. And the other thing is that you have such a great sense of what you like, what you don't like, you know, this self-knowing. So first things first, how do you juggle it all? Because I see that you're still doing some DJing here and there. You're running the business. You've, you're showing up everywhere. You've got collaborations with furniture brands and, you know, all of these things happening all at once, which is awesome because you've realized that you love to do all of these different things, keeping it interesting, but how do you juggle it? Because at one point I was running four businesses myself. I'm down to two now, <laughs> but I knew that when I was at that point, I had to schedule, okay, Monday and Tuesday is for this. And I had to kind of segment my weeks. How do you operate with all of this happening at once? Do you have any set routines or rituals or structures? Mm. No. The thing about me is I hate routine, I hate discipline, I hate structure. It does not work. So I find 
here's the thing. Like, I, I feel like me giving advice for how I do it is just not feasible because I do it in a way that, like, barely works for me. So the way I get it done okay. is I... <laughs> I just simply do what needs to be done. And how this looks like is I might chuck a couple all-nighters a couple times a week, or I might make the conscious effort to be like, you know, I'm not taking any DJ gigs for this month, so I can use that time elsewhere. So it's constantly rescheduling, rearranging, reprioritizing, because not everything is a priority at once. And some opportunities are more... um, like timely and some opportunities are bigger than others and some opportunities are fun to do but not that important so it's all I'm always constantly juggling and I recognize that the only reason why I do so much is because I want to do it and so that that want and that Mm -hmm. that what is the drive if I didn't want to do it I just wouldn't do it and that reflects in some of the things I don't do now like I used to do there was one point I was doing four podcasts now I'm barely doing one I don't want to do it so I'm not doing it anymore um so I wouldn't recommend juggling as a business strategy I think that if you don't have um the motivation to do multiple things and you're just trying to keep up with the Joneses don't worry about it because it's a skill in itself and it's one that's intuitive and it's the only way I can work which is why I do it I do recognize the benefit of doing one thing or two things and doing it well especially if you're going to be the person in the business who does it all and wants to have a good understanding of it all you're better off doing what needs to be done and then using the other time to take a break you know, <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. how I would do it. A hundred percent. I also think that there's like, um, I reckon there's a, how do I explain it? I also do what I'm good at and I try and outsource what I'm not good at. And I recognize that not everybody's in the financial position to do so, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, I think the difference between someone who can, can, who does it well and somebody who, you know, like drags their feet through it is that person who's dragging their feet recognizes that it needs to be done, but knows they don't have the capacity to do it. I am fortunate enough that all the things that are like fundamental in my business, I can do and do well. So creative strategy, business strategy, business development, and marketing, but all the things that I don't want to do, I just don't do because it would take me double the time and it would take me, and I wouldn't even do it to the, to the level it needed to be done. So I don't know if this is like collaborating or working with a business partner or getting an intern, getting a junior, but the money you save, the money you spend hiring someone is money that you will make tenfold just doing what you're meant to be doing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many little nuggets in there that everyone can take away, but I love the key that find what works for you and you found what works for you, but I've heard you talk about a little bit on self-discovery and just being able to know the things that you're either not good at or don't enjoy, that takes a journey to get there, right? We don't just, you know, start our journey out of nowhere and know what we're good at, what we're not good at. And you've tried so many different things, a bit of trial and error, a bit of deciding, actually, I'm not loving this right now. And, And having that confidence to say no or to stop doing things that you're not loving But how important has this self-discovery been on your journey? Have you always had a sense of, a pretty good sense of who you were or was it all part of the learning along the way? It's been vital. I mean, at any given point of my life, I've assumed that the person that I am in that moment is the person I'm meant to be. And so I'd be like, I know myself so well. However, 
I can only say after writing my new book, The Success Experiment, how vital that like fundamental inner knowing has been. It's been the only reason why I've been able to do everything with so much conviction because I've decided at that moment that this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. This is what I believe in. Um, and it's almost like my internal, uh, like steadfastness is my only driving force. I definitely, I can recall times in my career when I've had this internal restlessness and that's definitely come from being in situations that I have, uh, allowed other people to convince me was right for me and then having this like internal dissatisfaction that like I'm in the right spot but why doesn't it feel good you know I took the job I got paid what am I so upset about and so uh like it's I think it's fundamental and I recognize a lot of my like friends family peers fans followers who struggle with doing the thing doing the work creating you know success in a meaningful way to them and actually seeing results is that they are going with a flow that they did not create and looking outwardly for um mm. checkpoints or for um clues that they're they're doing it right you're not going to get checkpoints and clues from somebody outside of yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like you only need to look within and be like does this does this feel right does this feel okay and like more often than not you know um and so much about business for me is intuitive like i know there are a thousand people a million people who are smarter than me uh more emotionally intelligent than me better communicators than i am which is fine but i recognize from an early point like way early on in my career like when i was 20 that my motivation to do any of this and so i can get paid to be myself because once i'd done it once i was like i'm not going back to doing whatever that was before and so with that with that in mind, it becomes a guiding light. I only follow these, I only follow opportunities that allow me to do what I do in the way that I want to do them because I want to do that. And not everybody's motivated by that. Like my business partner, Grace, is not motivated by following her inner compass when it comes to career. She is a facilitator through and through. She wants to add value through being valued and valuable. So you don't ask Grace, what do you want to do? She does not Mm. care. You tell Grace, this is what I need help with. And Grace makes the system. You know, she makes the system. She she wow. tests the system. Amazing. She ensures it works well. She comes back. She says, "What do you need now?" And then she does it. And so, if she was using my um, uh, sort of like my guiding light as a metric for her own success, she'd be feeling very unsuccessful because you know she did what she wanted to do. It wasn't mm. working out. Now she recognizes this is what makes me feel valued in a career space just helping people whose vision that I trust and respect. Now she can follow that guiding light. And she's done a ton of amazing things doing that. So yeah, number one thing, I think two things that have helped me. Number one, working in PR, because again, those skills are invaluable. But number two, intense self-discovery, self-awareness, commitment to self, and also uh, like intense, like self-belief. You just have to know you can do it. Because I feel like when it comes to my career, um, you can say it's a fluke, you know, but I feel like I've done a couple things over and over again to prove that it's not a fluke. At this point, at this point, it's not a fluke because if it was just being a DJ, sure, it could have been a fluke. If it was being the DJ and MTV presenter, sure, could have been a fluke, but it's like I've replicated it again and again and again and again. 
because I just know the things I'm good at. I know the things I can do. I know the things I cannot do. I know what I want and I know exactly what I need to do to get it. And if I don't, I'll learn. Mm -hmm. Incredible. And I, I definitely do not think any of it's a fluke to be honest with you. I mean, even just seeing those opportunities was all you, right? No one came and said, hey, can you DJ our DJ sick? Or, you know, you went out there and sought out these opportunities. You made that MTV happen. You, you, you know, put yourself in those situations where these opportunities could either be presented to you or you just went out there and bloody got them yourself. So I don't think any of it is a fluke. And I think I love what you said around everyone's kind of got their answer within themselves and people more so than ever, are looking to social media, looking to has someone else done what I'm wanting to do before to, I guess, prove their concept. But no one is going to show you your own path other than you. So you really are a a walking billboard for that. (laughs) (laughs) And I totally understand why it's valuable to look outside of yourself for affirmation, but it's so tricky to discern if that affirmation is correct if you don't already know what you're looking for. So if I'm going to say right now that uh, tomorrow I want to start a business, um, I don't know, selling leg warmers, and I have I feel convicted in that fact, I've done my research, and I go outside and everyone's like, ooh, leg warmers aren't really a vibe, I'm not interested, fine. That's cool. But now I go back to myself and say, hey, with that knowledge in mind, do I still want to do leg warmers? Yes or no? And then go forth. I feel like mm-hmm. part of what I recognized early on and what uh, convinced me to be as convicted as I am is that I really wanted to be wholly responsible for my wins and my losses. I feel like I know a lot of people who want to take all the credit for the wins and want to blame everybody but themselves for the losses. And the flaw in that plan is that in order to keep growing and evolving, you have to learn from your failure. And if you deduce that all your failure is coming from everybody but you, then where is the learning? You're just doomed to do the same thing over and over again because you're waiting for the right people to push you in your right direction. It's not going to happen. It could happen on the off chance. But if you want to turn like success from a fluke into a strategy, then you need to find these like cornerstones of like what you use to discern whether something is working out for you, whether it's not working, whether it's good, whether it's viable. Uh, And only you know these things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if, if success to you uh, is, is not even career, then, like, I think that's a big thing people are uh, not giving themselves enough time to think about. I feel like it's been very easy for us to merge this idea of success with career because we spend most of our days working. So it makes sense that I find value in the thing that I spent the most time doing. When in actuality, a lot of people just don't, are just not cut out for career in a way that is necessary to also use that as a tool or your metric for success. And the sooner you figure that out, the sooner you can be like, you know what, I just kind of need a job to make money to do stuff that I want to actually be doing. Imagine how quickly your life changes. Imagine how much space and time you open up when you're not here, you know, freaking out about promotions and, you know, <laughs> climbing up the career ladder. I mean, you're like, no, I just need to make a couple hundred here. So I can go on a holiday, so I can go on a walk, so I can make ceramics on the weekend. Imagine how satisfied you would feel, except we're all in this like mm-hmm. kind of delusion, not all, but I think if you don't know yourself, it's easy to stay in this delusion of like, no, I really want to be traditionally successful. Do you? I don't know. So true. So, so true. I mean, 
You're speaking to my soul with everything you just said. Two main things that I often speak on is one, that you create your whole reality. You create your wins and you create your losses. So if you're not going to take opportunity um, ownership of that, then you're denying the fact that you have the power to change the places that you're not enjoying. And secondly, goals and dreams, usually if I ask someone, what are their goals? If I'm speaking to female entrepreneurs and I ask them, what are your goals? They'll say, to grow my business or to make six figures. And when I actually dig a bit deeper, that's not their goal at all. They've just seen that everyone else online is using these buzzwords. So they've decided that that's what success means. So digging deeper, figuring out what that looks like. But what what I love that you said is not everyone needs to make six figures. Maybe you just want to make enough to stay at home with the kids or go on a holiday or give up everything and live on the road. Like find out what success means to you. And it shouldn't just be about business or career. It's your whole, the whole being, like everything. So incredible. I'm just like, yes to everything that you're saying. <laughs> now, very, very important. Um, I really want to touch on the success experiment, which launches on June 1st. I've got mine on pre-order. Um, but I would love to know what was the moment or what made you decide I'm going to make a book and I would love for you to tell us a little bit about it without any spoilers because I want everyone to go and read it in full. <laughs> I don't mind giving away spoilers. <laughs> I'm recognizing that's like a key, a key part of the marketing process. But uh, deciding to write a book is like everything else that I've done. I thought, why why can't I? Why shouldn't I? The book in particular, though, was uh, an exercise for me to pivot my uh, career output. I recognize that for a lot of people who don't follow my career in its entirety, they're looking for very, um, uh, very showy explanations of what I do, which means that if you talk to one person, they're like, oh, no, Flex, she's the DJ. Oh, no, Flex is, you know, the girl who won Instagram's Young and Entrepreneur. Oh, no, Flex is definitely a beauty influencer. No, Flex is a model. So I recognize that communications um, and starting big fundamental conversations is what I want to be doing. But up until I'm able to kind of consolidate my brand, it's not going to happen. So instead of, you know, starting another side project here, another side project there, I needed to do something um, big and something all consuming to really drive the point home. We're doing different things. Uh, and so writing the book was um, was an interesting process. So to explain what the book is, it's called The Success Experiment. Um, and essentially it's my like <laughs> antithesis to generic career and self-development books because essentially when I was uh, approached to write this book, we'll talk about that more later, but basically I was asked to kind of write a self-help guide for any other woman, uh, older or younger, who wants to feel motivated about, you know, uh, hitting career goals and essentially doing what I've done, write the manual to explain how you've done what you've done. And I kept trying to explain that what I've done is second to how I did it. And I think how I did it is far more important because it's replicable. What I've done is just, um, it's just a, 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 such a small representation of what I could do. But if we focus on that, then you want me to be telling the world, you know, go be an influencer, DJ, model, 
business owner, which is not motivating to a lot of people. And I feel as though what I really wanted to hold on to is like the core nuggets of truth that help me with everything I do, as opposed to the really obvious hooks. I don't want to hook the, I don't want to hook people in with a pipe dream. And so I was recounting to my publisher about this experiment that I've been doing with my own life to see if it was possible for me to create success in a way that I wanted to because I wanted to. And because I started to recognize that these very conventional traditional milestones just weren't helpful for me. And every self-help book that I was reading was motivating me to do the thing that I didn't want to do. I don't want to be the mm. best or the first or the biggest. I just want to enjoy myself. <laughs> And I want to feel this inner contentment. And so how do I actually go about doing that? And so I was conducting this experiment for the last, I don't know, two or so years, maybe a little bit longer. And I was noting down the things that worked for me, the things that uh, if you take away the outcome, what steps and processes did I take to get me to a point where I felt content in each, like, you know, vertical of my life? Um, and so the experiment of the book hypothesizes that if somebody takes these steps in the way that I did for an outcome that they want, that they can achieve meaningful success for themselves, which means that every book, every podcast, every aha moment, every learning, every step that I've taken to do this, I just wrote it down. So not gatekeeping it. In my head, it's all very simple. What I struggle with is um, having to like disseminate this information to individuals because what often happens is when I'm having a one-on-one conversation, the person I'm speaking to wants me to understand all of their context, all of their backstory in order to, you know, rejig my information to fit their narrative. Not my business. I don't care. Here's everything that I did. Now you take the initiative. You make it work. You make it fit just like I did. Like this how this how I like not like how I did, like like, like how I continue to do. Um and so it's really fascinating because usually people expect in a self-help book that um, it's going to be really clear, uh, like a really clear outcome. Like if you read this, you'll be able to marry that person and buy that car, which is not the case, Mm. you know. I'm arguing or I'm trying to expose that success in itself is fleeting and and it's ephemeral. You can create it in any which way if you want to today. You just don't know that you can and you don't know how to. Um, and I feel really confident that the way I've approached it is a way that's going to resonate because I think the point I'm driving home is that you don't have to be exceptional or the exception to the rule. Yes, you do have to have a good understanding of the external barriers and the systemic um issues that get in the way of you doing what you want to do, whether it's gender, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, like learn those things. But like, if you're not aspiring for traditional success, those things aren't even a problem. So (laughs) yeah, I cannot wait to read it. And I just know that it is something that we need more than ever, because, you know, let's say even just with my mum's generation, they had four jobs to choose from or maybe even two. And now we can literally make up whatever we want to do. Like we we don't fit into any box anymore. And I think we need this more, you know, apply it how you will kind of book to give people that feeling of success whatever that means to them. So it sounds incredible and I cannot wait to read it. I bet you're so excited for everyone to get their hands on it and see how many successful people you're going to, you know, inspire in the world. 
Absolutely. And the thing is, I was telling my publisher, they were asking me, like, you know, who's this book for? Who do you want to read it? And I was a little bit down to the fact that not everybody feels that they have agency. Not everyone feels that they are responsible for their wins and losses. Not everybody feels that they could really change the course and direction of their lives. So I'm not speaking to those people because I, I recognize it's so hard to shift a mindset if your current lifestyle affirms the mindset you have. I feel like if I reflect on my mm. my childhood, I was really instilled with an abundant mindset. My mom really hyped me up and made me actually believe that I can do what I want to because of who I am. So I couldn't shift that off if, even if I wanted to. And thus my lifestyle affirms that belief. And it's really easy for me to... Um, it's really easy for me to know that as fact. Um, and so I'm speaking to people who perhaps don't feel as convicted as I do, but recognize that if they were to make small changes in their life, they could do something about it. They could um, they could change their lives in like maybe a minuscule way or maybe a really big way. And I feel as though like when I was writing the chapters of the book, I also wrote them really intentionally because there are six chapters and six steps the first is knowing who you are because I just don't understand how anybody can reconcile the idea that they're a whole unique person, but they're expecting a really basic one-dimensional, one-size-fits-all approach to doing life the way that they should. It doesn't mm. really make any sense. And so I've, I deduce that if you only through knowing who you are can you figure out what success means for you. It doesn't make any sense to not to do it any other way. You're no. wasting time. And then once you know who you are, and that comes with a ton of things. Like you can do it through therapy, personal development, psychology, uh, personal development tests, whatever you want to do it. But it needs to happen. And then from there, you've got to figure out, well, who do you want to be? Because clearly the person you are has gotten you to this point. But the person you want to be has to employ a few other skills. So what does that look like for you? You know, do you want to be somebody who is more disciplined? Do you want to be someone who's more empathetic? Do you want to be someone who uh, places more em emphasis on community and giving back? Who do you want to be? And what skills can you uh, employ so you can be more of that person? It's not about... Um, when I think about who do you want to be, it's adding an extra one or two percent. It's not it's not changing the world. It's you know it's one or two small things that can change your perspective. And then you go from what do you want? Because again, like we were saying earlier, I am constantly asking people like, what do you want? I hope you get it. Like I feel like with the information I have, like I'm not gatekeeping. I will sit down with you and help you do it. What do you want? And it's crickets. It's quiet. And I'm like. It's not often that somebody will give you an opportunity to help you. So the least you can do is shop ready to receive when the opportunity comes. How are you going to be sitting here being like, oh, I don't really know. And like, oh, I haven't really thought about it. Then what are you stressed out about? Why are you stressed about conventional success and milestones if you don't even know what you want? Go to bed, sis. Take a break. <laughs> take a holiday. Like even that, because you might get to what do you want? And realize, I don't really want anything. Fine. Relax then. Because all this internal anxiety and the stress we have, you're going to realize it's for no reason if someone asks you and you can't answer. And then we get to chapter four. Why do you want it? Because like you said earlier about the um, about the six figures, I want a business that grows. But why? Yeah. Like, what is the outcome of that? What does it mean? And I struggle with this a lot because being someone whose instinct is to leverage, 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 I'm constantly going for things I don't really want because it's been, I've had the opportunity to have them. 
But an exercise that I do, it's also in the book, but I'll give it away because it's fun, <laughs> is the Y funnel. And I do it for a lot of major business moves, but it's just constantly asking yourself why to get to the core of, of what's motivating you. So for example, if you if I asked you what you want and you said, I want a, I want a business that grows to six figures, why? Oh, you know, so I have uh, evidence that my business is successful. Why? Well, so when people ask me, they know that the work I'm doing is not in vain. So I can prove to them that I'm doing something important. Why does that matter? Well, because, you know, and then you get to the core, to the core, to the core. And so is your motivation validation? You can get that without the six figures. Don't worry about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just post some wins on Instagram. Absolutely. What's motivating Yeah. Because I believe... If you don't know what's motivating you, then you don't want, you don't know what your barriers are to success either, and you don't know what's going to push you over the line as well. Like I know now that I'm I'm motivated by ease, by comfort, and by low risk, high reward. Mm-hmm. If any of the things that are, that are brought to me don't have that sense of ease, comfort, they don't align with who I am, and they don't pay well, I'm not interested. Don't worry about it. And sometimes I find myself. Um, even thinking about what my values are, you know? So if I, I'm a person who values really open and honest communication. If I have a client come to me and say, hey, we really want you to do this ad for us, but don't disclose it's an ad. Well, then it's not going to work. That's not how I operate. Mm -hmm. I don't need to think about it for more than a couple seconds to say no. It's about having that conviction. And then once you know why you want it, you're really, really sure, then it's how you're going to get it. And to me, how you're going to get it is the easiest thing. I, I hand on heart believe, like figure out who you are, who you want to be, what you want and why you want it is 10 times harder than how you're going to get it. I could tell anyone, if you want to work in media, if you want to work in entrepreneurship, if you want to start your own business, I could tell you that. Sit down and we can talk about that in an, an hour conversation. That's easy. Everything else, oof. That could take you months. That could take you years. Like, (laughs) stress about the right things. Yeah. So, so much. Oh, it sounds incredible. Um, And I just know that this 100% is one thing that the world needs because, you know, I I work in the coaching space with my clients and this is 100% the the process that they all need to go through. I haven't had one person come to me yet that knows what they want and why they want it. So this is just, I'm so, so excited for this to enter the world and um, finally released on June 1st, which is going to be a couple of days after this um, podcast is released. I love it. It's all so exciting. It's just so fun to me because I I think that like um, the reason why I (laughs) selfishly, I don't like to gatekeep because I feel like the more people who understand how to do it, the more um, like... (laughs) Here's the thing. I feel as though you would know that once you're in business, once you run one business, you can run two, you can run three, you can run four. I want praise on my business from fellow business owners because they know how hard it is to run a business. In the same way, we're talking about success, like life success, not career success. I want people who also have agency to affirm me, not people who think that I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm lucky or because I'm, you know, one of the lucky ones or really highly Mm -hmm. favored. No, I want you to know that I'm doing it because I made a choice and you can make that choice too. And if we're all orbiting with the belief that we can do the things we want to do, 
then when one of us does it, that's a call for celebration. It's very exciting. (laughs) I don't want to feel like someone's putting on a pedestal for information. I will freely disseminate. So read the book. (laughs) love it and where is the best place for people to get their hands on it you can get the book if you're in australia i reckon go to booktopia it'll be it's an online everyone knows booktopia you can go there but it'll also be available (laughs) on like kmart big w dimmix reading all major what are that what's the tagline they use all good bookstores it will be there yeah um, if it's not in your independent bookstore you can ask them to stop it and they can if you are not in australia or new zealand you can get it from the book depository and then it'll also be available on audible in a couple of months when i record it <laughs> Oh, how exciting. Oh, I'm just, this was just such an awesome chat. My my neck's going to need a massage after this. I'm just nodding to everything. <laughs> um, it's just been incredible to to have you on and to share your knowledge. I mean, I love that you're just so free and open with all of it and I think the world needs more, more of you um, everywhere. <laughs> so I'm excited for <laughs> everyone to take some of your success experiments and implement them into their own lives with your new book. But thank you once again for joining me today and sharing your knowledge and your experience. My absolute pleasure. Any bloody time. (laughs) Awesome. Well, have an amazing day and I will chat to you soon. Yay. Thank you. See you later, love. That was such an awesome episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, screenshot and share this to your Instagram stories to spread the inspiration with the world. And make sure to tag myself at jess.williamson8 and flex at flexmummy. And make sure to hit subscribe because we have some exciting, exciting episodes coming up real soon. Have an amazing day.